I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, January 22nd, 2022, and this is episode 155 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is I finished watching The Expanse. I had started when it started, then I took a break and ended up binging the the episodes after all. I had done this whole thing about how I'm not binging and I'm watching it week by week. But my uh, appetite for television, not so much appetite, I guess I was just having a hard time focusing on television and reading. I've been listening to audiobooks uh, for the past couple of weeks. So anyway, I finally got around to the end of The Expanse and... I had heard that it was satisfying, and it was. It was also deeply unsatisfying in other ways. Um, but overall, it was a great series finale. Um, it was a great end to the six seasons. I really appreciated it. It's wonderful writing on that show. What The part that was unsatisfying was that they opened certain doors in this season that they had no intention of closing, and they did not close. And my guess is that they were like, hey, if you want to know what happens, read the books. There's three more books in the series, there's short stories, there's extra media, go consume them because the TV show is over and we set up these really cool things and these mysteries, but we're not going to finish them. It is an interesting way to approach a season finale. I'll give them that. I read an article comparing it to the Game of Thrones season or series finale and saying, you know, they're, they have opposite problems. Um, whereas Game of Thrones was largely considered poor storytelling and unsatisfying. Expanse has elements of being unsatisfying, but great storytelling. Um, and no spoilers, of course, I would encourage you to watch The Expanse if you do not. It is a, ter- a terrific TV show. Um, and if I was really interested in hard sci-fi, I would probably read the books. I've considered actually reading the books, even though I'm not much of a hard sci-fi reader anymore. I used to read, I used to read William Gibson and Neil Stevenson, and um, I loved those authors and their books from years ago. I'm sure their books from now are are good too. I just haven't read them. Another great thing that happened, I got my copy of the January slash February 2022 issue of Writer's Digest magazine. And above the title, it says, El Penelope on author-run podcasts. I have an article in this issue of the magazine, and it is highlighted on the front page, I mean, on the cover, which was a surprise to me when I got my copy. Uh, I interview several author podcasters, including many on the Frolic Podcast Network, but others as well. And I would encourage you to check out the issue. I think it's a great article, if I just say so myself. If you are an author and interested in starting a podcast of your own, there are some great insights in there from some of my co-author podcasters. It was an idea that I had that I pitched to the magazine and they were interested in um, publishing it, obviously. So yeah, that's great. And thanks to all the authors who I interviewed and who are featured in the article. Writing update. So this week, I actually did meet my goal, which as of Friday, I was not sure I was going to meet. So my goal is the uh, current book that I am writing. It is the proposal for this 1830s project. I wanted to get two chapters done this week. Initially, I was hoping for three chapters a week. Last week, I modified that to two chapters a week. This week, I was like, if I get one chapter done this week, I will be winning. But I ended up pulling it out and... um Yesterday, on Friday, I did finish chapter six. 
I My goal is to do two chapters next week. I know that was going to be difficult because these two chapters are kind of meaty, but we'll see what happens. And then after chapter eight, I think it's a really good stopping point for this proposal. It may or may not be 100 pages. Um, since this is a collaborative project, I was asked to do 100 pages for the proposal, but I really need to move into the book that I'm already contracted for, which I have been working on this whole time. It's just I need to... Um, actually start writing it. I'm going to get the proposal for that done. So I need to just kind of clear my brain. It's most of the first act, uh, the first eight chapters, and it leaves on a hook. Once I get to chapter eight, I think that will be a good stopping place. And I'm hoping that that will be done this coming week. The second book that I'm working on, which is the second book on my orbit contract, um, I've been working on for the past couple of months. I'm finally starting to see the whole picture. It's actually coming together, which is really great because this week my editor asked me about it. She was like, hey, what about that book? And I was like, I'm working on it. I'm not quite there yet. But my plan is to get you the synopsis by the end of January. And she said that timeline works for her. So having a hard deadline now is a good motivator for me. I have my internal deadlines and I try to meet them, but having the external is just obviously that that extra push Uh, I don't want to disappoint them. And it's also just holding me accountable. And it helps to put my creativity in gear. So once I had that email from my editor, and I'm like, yeah, end of the month, I can do this. It was my goal anyway. But once I, you know, put it out into the universe, and specifically to my editor, it becomes very real. And it's something that I'm going to do my very best to hit. So I just started taking everything that I had, all this work that I've been doing for the past couple of months. I've been making notes on an outline, but... It was just like, okay, I just need to produce an outline. Like, obviously, the book will change when I write it. It always does. But I can't even start writing without a synopsis. And I need a synopsis for my publisher, too. So all part of the normal process. Um, I had notes in different places. I have spreadsheets. I have ideas in my head. I have note cards. You know, now it's just a the process is bringing it all together, looking at everything, evaluating it. And uh, trying to write that damn synopsis. (laughs) Things that have helped. My process is a bit chaotic. I kind of go round robin. So in one writing session, I might start with um, my notebook, writing notes or reviewing my notes. And when I say my notes are in several places, I have a text file for notes. I have my Remarkable, which is a digital tablet in which I write notes. I have a physical notebook that I write notes in. I have my phone, which is on the go. I have um, a file in Google Keep that I write notes in. Lots of places for notes. I also have a multi-tab spreadsheet. I have my Scrivener document. I was using Plotter at first, then I stopped using Plotter for this. I moved everything into Scrivener. I've got a Scapple mind map for this. (laughs) It's a lot. I, I throw everything at the wall for these stories, and especially one like this, which has been which has been causing me problems in the plotting, because I I looked in my text file. I've got thirty thousand words in a text file of notes for this project. I also have notes in Notion, which is this sort of database type of program, and I've started keeping my research in Notion. So every time I look at uh, a website or read an article. I've got several books too. Uh, but I make an entry in a table in my, inside of Notion for it. So 
Notion is great because it allows you to sort of have nested content. So I have this whole like research log, which is looks like a spreadsheet, but each each row of the spreadsheet, you open it up in its own document. So all of the notes from every um, website that I visit, when I'm thinking of things and researching things for this project, I put inside of a document in Notion. Right now, that has 40 entries of different articles uh, that I've that I've researched, blog posts, whatever. In addition to the other pages of notes that are in Notion, which I totally forgot when I was just listing off places that I have notes. I don't know why I work this way, but I do. So I'll start in a notebook, and then I'll go to my text file to try to find the notes and like, I, I'll remember that I wrote something somewhere, but where was it? And I'll look in the 15 different places and I'll find the note. And then that will spark me to look up something on a website. I'll find an article on a website. I'll log it in my research log. I'll make some notes there. I'll go back to my spreadsheet, which has my character goal, motivation, and conflict. Then I'll go to One Stop for Writers and I will research character wounds. That will lead me to another article that I will put a note in my research log. I'll go back to One Stop. I'll go to my Save the Cat spreadsheet. That's not working. I'll go to my Dan Wells seven story, seven, seven point story plot system and I'll make a note there. I'll try to fill that out, but I'll get stuck. I'll go back to Save the Cat or One Stop or my notes. This is how it works. This is how it's been for like three months. At the end of this process, which is what usually happens, I start a new text file where I just tell the story. I just like everything that's going to happen in the story, I write it down. I did that. I realized it wasn't right. I went into Scrivener and I started doing that again in note card view. So breaking down every scene that could possibly happen in this story and just put them in the note cards and start arranging them. And that was almost working. I got a little stuck. I was talking to my friend. She was like, have you done the fool's cap? Which is the story grid, the book by Sean Coyne talks about the fool's cap method of breaking down the story. There's the beginning hook, the middle build, and the ending payoff. Each of these three sections are made up of five parts. They all have an inciting incident, complications, crisis, climax, and resolution. I hadn't done the fool's cap. I brought that into my master spreadsheet in a new tab, and I started trying to fill that out. I didn't know over the beginning. I got the inciting incident and a complication for the beginning hook, I didn't know what the crisis, the climax of the resolution were, so I skipped to the middle build. And I actually got all five elements on the middle build. And then I was like, oh, wait, I think I understand what's happening. Went back to Scrivener, filled out some more note cards. And I think that I have an idea for the end. Like, one of the problems was I saw the first half and I didn't. And then I was like, and then, you know, they fix it. In the end, they they win, they fight, they battle, and then they come out on top. Like, that's how the story goes. The, the second half of the stories are always, even once I have an outline, the second half is generally a little bit wibbly-wobbly. But somehow, this chaotic process is the thing that settles the story in my brain. And at the certain point, you know, you get the idea, you see it, and it starts to make sense. Another thing that happened this week as I was pulling all of this together was realizing that the structure was holding me back. So I have, I'm telling a story about some people who go into this fantastical world. And normally in regular three-act structure, your first act is normal world. You break into act two, which is where they enter the special world. 
you know, Luke leaves Tatooine with Han and they go on the Millennium Falcon into space, right? I was trying to do that, but I realized that I was fighting against myself because the story needs more time in the normal world. The normal world is actually an equal part of the story. I can't enter the special world until much later, like deep into Act 2. And it felt weird to me because of normal structural education that I've had, you know, craft stuff. And so then I thought about, okay, well, what is the story really about? And all the time I was constantly coming back to this quote from Lisa Crone that I have written on a note card that sits on my desk at all times. And it says, it's the constant laser beam focus on your protagonist's story-specific inner struggle that will keep you from allowing surface storylines to hijack the story you're telling. So I've been all over the map on the actual story that I'm telling. I had the kernel. I knew the idea. I kept trying to come back to it. And I'm like, what if I did this? What if I did this? What if these characters came in and did this? What if they met this person and did that? You know, like... Always, all of the possibilities are overwhelming to me. And the plotting process is about wrangling them, bringing them in. And the reason I wrote that quote on that card is because it's always helped me figure out what I need. Like all these other things can try to hijack the story you're telling. I don't know what the story I'm telling is. I have to, to constantly come back and be like, okay, you know, if they go and meet 15 fairies, you know, from this warrior tribe... Is that part of the story that I'm telling? That would be really cool, but I don't know. How does it help my main character complete her character arc? I kept coming back to that because I had an idea of the character arc for this character. And I just didn't know what the mechanical things were on the journey. Like, who does she meet? Where does she go? What struggles does she have to overcome in order to become the the person that she's going to be in order to complete her character arc? So some of it, a lot of the brainstorming was about that. And then it was other you know, cool and shiny things about the idea that I have about this fantasy world and things that I might want to see and places I might want to explore and characters I might want to meet. And I've been trying to put this specific type of character into a book. I, I tried to put them in monsters. I'm trying to put them in this. They're not going to fit, I don't think. I, I Since these books take, take place in the early half of the 20th century, probably 1920s or 30s, I haven't nailed down what well, Monsters We Defy takes place in 1925. I have not nailed down exactly what year this book takes place in, but the 20s or the 30s. I thought, I want a Garveyite. I want someone who is a follower of Marcus Garvey, a Black character who, you know, Marcus Garvey had this whole Back to Africa movement, who wanted to go back to Africa. And this particular story that I'm telling seemed like it would be the place. And I don't think it's the place. So my Garveyite story will have to, (laughs) it's still to come. We'll see. Anyway, to bring this back around, um, all of that chaos, wrangling it, focusing it on the main character, always bringing it back to the main character and what would facilitate her story arc and also the theme, you know, the kernel of the idea that I had way back in October. I say way back. It's only January. It was clear. And every other day I would go back to that kernel and that character and try to evaluate whether all of these ideas and notes and things I was exploring and researching, how are they going to come back to that? Self-wrangling, wrangling my mind is the hardest part of the plotting process. And I just, I, I 
pour the idea through every system I can find. And yes, it it drives me a little bit bananas, (laughs) but it always works. This is really how everything, every story happens for me. This is just an extreme case because it usually doesn't take this long or this many notes. Like if I were to count the words that I've written in every place that I have notes, I mean, I'm sure it would be a whole book's worth. If there's 30,000 words just in that one text file. So yeah, I'm getting closer and uh, I will have some kind of synopsis to my editor by January 31st because I said it would. And there's no reason why I can't do that. Even if I change every word of it, which the whole point of this is not to change every word of it after I send it in because that defeats the purpose. I I do want to start writing in February. So I feel like I'm in a better place even if it didn't feel great getting here. In other writing news, um, Savage City is coming out March 31st. I'm supposed to be doing my marketing plan. Once again, I have failed to type up the notes into a cohesive plan and schedule, but I'm hoping to do that this weekend or Monday at the latest. Um, I also listened to episode 115 of the Six Figure Author podcast, I'll link to that in the show notes and recommend that. It is called Making More Money Selling Your Books Direct. I have a whole episode of the podcast called Selling Direct. Um, I did put up Savage City, the signed paperback, up for pre-order on my website. I haven't done the ebook pre-order yet, which I want to get done maybe by the time this episode comes out. We'll see how it goes. But I do believe in Selling Direct. I think that is the way forward for many authors. I use PayHip to do that with the ebooks being delivered by a book funnel. Katie Cross is the one who is being interviewed on the podcast episode I mentioned. And she has a huge operation. She's selling, selling a lot of books. Um, she's using Shopify, which as a web developer, I love Shopify. But it's like a $30 a month charge. So rarely am I at this point selling $30 a month of direct sales on ebooks. It's still very small. Like some months will be above that, like this month with the pre-orders, definitely. But in lulls, because I don't have that many self-published books. Like if you're an author who is entirely self-published, then $30 a month might not be a big deal. But since half of my books are traditionally published, um, and I don't, you know, I'm not selling those directly, then, uh, $30 a month doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, PayHip takes 5% of each transaction. I could very easily, since I am a web developer, build an e-commerce store using WooCommerce on my website. As as of now, I haven't felt like doing that. I do that for clients all the time. But um, but sort of for the same reasons why the Shopify doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know if it makes the sense to invest the time in building a whole WooCommerce store. PayHip works really great. I like it. It's simple. It's not perfect. And it's, you know, very out of the box. I can't customize things, but it's fine. As I think about trying to grow my direct sales and in the years to come, if I have many more self-published books, which I don't know, you know, right now I'm on like this one a year schedule. (laughs) We'll see what happens. It may make more sense in the future. But as of now, I'm happy with PayHip. But I do want to listen to this podcast episode again and just try to incorporate some of the other techniques that Katie Cross talks about. Because I think that they are are really interesting. You know, like how do you teach your readers to buy directly from you as opposed to from Amazon or Nook or wherever else they're buying? And what can I give them that's exclusive or that you know incentivizes them to make the purchase for me? Where even with 5% coming from PayHip, that's a lot less than the 30% that Amazon and everyone else takes. 
So it's fine by me. <laughs> so yeah, I will be thinking on that in the coming days uh, and just ways to, you know, make that work a little bit better and make it, if I'm asking my readers to do something a little bit more difficult, like buying from Amazon, the easiest thing possible, automatically drops onto your Kindle. Same with the other retailers. Even with BookFunnel, it's like one extra step. Like, I guess some readers might have set up BookFunnel if they get a lot of, you know, books directly from authors to send to their Kindle. I haven't done that. When I get a book through BookFunnel, I actually have it sent to my email, then I forward the email to my Kindle. So I don't have to sideload. It's very easy. But um, it's still one extra step, extra forwarding. And now Amazon, every time I send them an ebook, they have to confirm it from my email. And it's like two extra steps. So if I'm asking for a reader to, you know, go through one extra barrier to get the book, then it has to really be worth it. And uh, just thinking about that and ideas for that. So that is what's going on with me, my goals for this coming week, chapters seven and eight of this 1830s project. Then I'm going to do just a quick review and send it off for feedback. Also plotting for this Orbit book too, getting that really solidified, structured, written up, whatever has to be done to it so that I can send it in a, in a coherent way to my editor for her feedback and get this marketing for Savage City together. I think these will be, you know, the goals for the foreseeable future, at least the last two. But that's it for me for this week. I hope that you have a wonderful week. I hope January is treating you well, and I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcast.